Hello and welcome to Lead Your Tribe. My name is Kyle Wood. Today, we're going to be talking about resilience and overcoming, you know, really tough things uh, that come up in your life, how to like find that that mind space to be out of. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a moment. But for now, I've got a, a special announcement to make, uh, but I want to introduce my co-host, Dale Sidebottom. Thanks, Kyle. Really excited to be here today and talking about resilience. I think it's a topic that uh, doesn't matter if you've been through a pandemic or not. It's something that uh, you can never have enough resilience and you can never start building that resilience at a young age. So excited to uh, be chatting with you again, mate. Yeah. And we have a special announcement to make. Uh, about two weeks ago, Dale became a published author, as in a book in bookstores <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> all around the world. Um, with as he was just telling me before, an audiobook soon to come. The book is called All Work, No Play, A Surprising Guide to Feeling More Mindful, Grateful and Cheerful. Congratulations, Dale. Thank you very much, Cole. Yeah, very, uh, I know we'll talk a little bit about it before, very humbling, um, the whole process to see that book in stores and for people to actually purchase it. And um, yeah. it's it <laughs> also is very daunting putting yourself out there on, I know, do podcasts and do speaking gigs, but I don't know, a written book, something you can never take back or delete. Um, it's always going to be out there. So yeah. exciting, daunting, but also humbling. It's been a, it's been a really, really interesting few weeks. It's exciting. So yeah, excited to talk about it. And yeah, thank you for that, mate. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, I think that is the, it's, you know, obviously I can, I hadn't thought of it from the other side there of that a book is p- permanent and and yeah <laughs> the, all the work you go it goes into it but on the side on the other side of things it's really cool because it's it's an it's essentially an idea um and it's then so yeah fixed in time forever that they, that this idea that you had dale is now you know has a home and someone can buy it put it on their shelf and or put it on their kindle and it has a home there as well um and so that's really cool. I think that's yeah. really cool. Oh, it definitely is, and I suppose with that, it's 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 given me another way to you know share and be a little bit vulnerable. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that people have picked up in the first chapter. I I really share about things that didn't go very well for me in my life and how I've overcome that. And I think people can really relate to that. Um, I know mm. we talk a lot about Brene Brown and um, you know. Vil- being vulnerable and allowing that to obviously occur and to make it okay for other people. And, um, yeah, that, that's probably what I was most scared about, that uh, I have shared my story a lot and everything like yeah. that. But I don't know. Yeah, a lot more people are probably going to read it now. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, it's it's I get a bit antsy speaking about it now, mate, but it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's exciting, but it's also, yeah, I don't know. It's, it'll always be scary, but it hopefully it can help some people, I suppose. Well, it's it's funny actually because I wanted to quiz you a bit about the book. Having um, I was fortunate enough to get an advanced copy and I read it um, over a weekend, and yeah, I, I finished and I was like, "Oh, I got some definitely got some questions to Dale." So I'd love to quiz you about, especially it is a lot of what <laughs> I want to quiz you about is from the intro and yeah. the first chapter. Good, because <laughs> um, that's you know me. That's the bit that that really. Uh, interests me uh, and I think I was just um, editing one of our episodes and you mentioned how you've been really enjoying these like biographies of business owners because you love hearing their stories of how they you know had how they overcame obstacles and things like that 
Um, so that is a big chunk. I think because we've talked as well on this podcast a lot about the later sections of the book already. So that early section, I feel like is something like I feel like I learned things about you. And I don't know, have you had that reaction from from other friends who are like, oh, I didn't maybe realize that that was going on? Uh, I, I think other people, I think they knew it, but for me to actually put it out there in the public eye to do it so openly because um, I've obviously spoken about in my TED talk and um, in my keynotes, I, I mentioned little bits of it, but mm. um, I also felt that it was my opportunity to apologize for some of some of the relationships I may have, uh, that I may have ruined um, or mm. been really narcissistic to over the years. Um, and that, you know, what I'm trying to do now to mend those and be a better person. So, uh, yeah, I think people, yeah, it, it has been interesting. Um, I've done a couple of interviews with uh, newspapers and magazines and blogs and stuff like that. And that's one of the things that they've asked me is they go, well, you're quite open and honest with, you know, sharing a lot at the start of the book. And and my thing is that hopefully that allows other people that it's okay if you've made mistakes in your life or things haven't gone well, that that's fine. It's okay to do that. We've all done mm. that. And hopefully mm. me sharing that makes it okay for someone else to go, right, I can move on. I can do something about it. And at the end of the day, that buck stops with you. If something's not going right or you've stuffed up, then you need to fix that. You can't blame anyone else. And for too long, Kyle, I'd blame other people for issues that I had. And, um, yeah, I, I wanted to share that. And I wanted to share also that it's okay to go and speak to somebody that um, that you, it's not a failure to see a psychologist or speak to a doctor or, um, and particularly as males, I find that, you know, that's something that uh, I think it's opening up a lot more now and people are actually thinking it's okay. But, um yeah, when I t- would tell people that, they would look at me like, oh, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? And I'm like, well, yeah. yeah. And I, I just, that mentality for me is something I was like, yeah, I'm really excited about everything in the book. But um, the, probably the, the most exciting thing is that I got that chapter one out on the page or part one or whatever you call it. And yeah, hopefully that'll make the biggest impact. And, and if people are struggling, they know that it's, it's not weak to speak and it's okay to seek help. Yeah, well, I'd like to I'd like to talk a bit more about that, but well, I'd also like to start um, a few years earlier because there was a moment in the book, and you have mentioned it before, but the way you wrote it in the book really stood out to me and struck me as maybe a bit of like a turning point for you. So it was it's back. Um, I'll, I'll and I'll hand over this to you to to take up the story, but just to set the scene. So it's back. You're a recently graduated teacher. You've gone over to the UK, you're living in London, and you're working as a relief teacher for different schools. And I know we've talked about this in part. If people are listening to the podcast a long time, they'll they'll have heard bits of this. But I guess, yeah, I hadn't heard it quite in this way in the, the depth that you went into it. So um, there was one particular school you talked about in the book where you had to do a three-day relief program. Um, so do you mind yeah. maybe taking over like what what was that first day like for you? Yeah, well, at this I think at this stage uh, I'd been teaching, supply teaching in London for about five months and let's be honest, I was really close to quitting and I love teaching and I still do. Uh, but it was just because each day you'd roll into a different school in central London and normally these 
poor kids would have a different supply teacher every day because no one would want to teach them. It was like working walking into wow. a zoo. Like it was just there was no control. Kids had no manners and it was just crazy. Anyway, I just went about how I normally would. And that first day, I walked in and go, right, my name is Mr. Sidebottom. This is what we're doing. Bang. And I got straight into it. And it was literally the worst day ever. Like, and it just, it went horrific. You know, I got hit with a cricket bat and like it just. Yeah. That was um, the bit that struck me is like yeah. the these kids were actually violent towards you. And yeah. I think you talk about at one point you turned around and, and just in time um, to stop. Yeah, like I, I, I just can't even imagine being in that situation, especially oh. being that like in a different country, you know, even I mean, not the UK and there's some similarities, but yeah, being far from home um, as well. It was just, but then, but I think that was like there's another day that um, I was in this room. It's called the unit. I didn't speak about this in the book, but in I'll get back to the other story. But I was in this thing yeah. called the unit, and this was outside the other school in barbed wire fence, and there was cops, and you only have two kids in each room. And so my job each day, I went there one day, and they go, "You've just got to make sure that they don't fight." I'm like, "Well, what do I teach them?" Anyway, somehow this other kid come in and this kid got thrown through a window. And I'm just like, Jeez. how am I supposed to stop these kids? I was 17, 18. Like, and, and that's what I mean. So my job was, I'm not teaching. That wasn't teaching. Yeah. And it was very similar to this grade, I think it was grade two or, or year two or whatever they call it over there, that, that there wasn't any work left. It was just like, make sure the kids don't fight and they're safe. I'm like, well, what oh, do you mean? That's crazy. Yeah, it so seems anyway, so broken, I, doesn't it? Oh, it's, it is. And, and that's, and, and again, it, my energy and my attention to teaching at that stage, I was broken too. Like I didn't want to yeah. be there. I was simply doing it so I could get yeah. enough money to travel, you know, and, yeah, okay. and go see Europe and the rest of the UK. Yep. And um, anyway, it was, it was really funny that I just remembered after that first day I walked out. It was literally the worst day ever. And I knew I had two days coming back. And I just for some reason remembered that I had a supply teacher, one or a CRT or whatever you call it, in Australia that started with three games. So – Instead of just coming in saying who he was, he played three games and he built this relationship and this connection. I'm like, why haven't I been doing this? Anyway, so the next day I went in there and started with four games, bang, straight into it. Um, and this kid, the Billy, that hit me with the cricket bat, he was the best kid I've ever seen. He was helping me <laughs> out. He was telling other kids off for the next two days. And it really just showed <laughs> me that you've got to build a connection before you can do anything. No one cares about yeah. your name. No one cares who you are, what you've done, where you're from unless you build that relationship with them. And I call it connection before content. I talk about it all the time. Um, and it's funny that this has just flowed on now, and that's the work I do, that I teach people how to build connections. And um, even when I started my energetic education running workshops for teachers, Kyle, that I thought the main part of the sessions people would love, but people just wanted more of the icebreaker <laughs> or the connection stars at the start. So yeah. now I run full days on that. And it's amazing. You just don't actually realize how much you can change a room with the right energy and the right activities at the start and set the tone to deliver whatever you want. And, um, yeah, so as hard as that first five months of teaching was in London, it was the best thing ever because it made me actually remember things uh, that that I'd experienced and worked. And that day was evident. If I could win that class over after being hit by a cricket pad, who couldn't I win over? Um, and I've really sort of used that going forward. So, yeah, not not the best first day, but um, like I said, you've got an opportunity to change if you've got a bad thing going on or a negative relationship or something. That's on you. You can change it. You just need to try something different. Um, and, yeah, for me, that's worked really well. And I'm fortunate that that happened because now I am where I am, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I know I've been lucky enough to be in a room 
with you when you've when you've run a session and seeing you change the energy of that room um very quickly um i wanted to go back to like that first to second day though because i feel like you know was was there an option you could have just called up and like called in sick for the next day or i I imagine they probably get teachers just not showing up sometimes maybe because it's so bad so i was so curious about i know you i hadn't heard that bit of what you're remembering this other teacher you'd had relief teacher you'd had years ago what what do you feel like was the part of you that decided i'm gonna you know i'm gonna stick this out i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna try this um rather than like sort of packing my bags or calling in sick or you know which would be understandable after having gone through that first day it would be very <laughs> understandable for you to be like i'm not going back so what what do you think was that like motivated or that part inside of you Oh, to be honest, it wasn't the first day like that. So, like, and and like, that was probably thing that I'd been through other days like it. And I like physically remember, and it's not a good thing to do, but there was a pub like just around the corner on the way to the tube. And I'm like, I just went in there, got a pint, and I sculled it. And I just sat there and I thought, oh, that's better. And then I had an hour tube ride home. And that was actually a really good thing because I sat there and I just, thought and and I took it all in instead of being distracted by things I just sat there in my own thoughts and that's when I remembered obviously what I'd experienced as a, as a student myself so yeah um what made me keep going back is that I'll I was like, oh, this, I wanted to try what I'd thought about. Um, but also, I suppose it wasn't the first time that this has happened. Um, yeah. So, yeah, in a way, I, and I needed the money. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'd only been working two or three days a week because I wasn't enjoying it. And yeah. it was a three day stint. Uh, so, in a way, it was actually a blessing that they booked me for three days. At the end of the three days, they offered me a job. They wanted me to stay. And I said, no, um, thank you very much. And I was very <laughs> fortunate that a couple of days later, I did a like a one-day teaching at this extremely, like one of the best prep schools in London. And um, I was fortunate enough that I was talking to the headmaster. I didn't even know. And I was just having a chat to him because everyone was wearing suits. You had to wear a suit. And I just thought, yeah, oh, wow. I didn't know who it was. I was just having a chat to him. And um, and I was teasing him about his tie or something. Anyway, he really liked my energy and he come and watch me teach a cricket lesson. And obviously cricket's my passion. I love cricket. Yeah. <laughs> and so the next, that night he rang me up and goes, Dale, I don't know if you know who I was, but I'm the headmaster of this school and da-da, this other one. He goes, you're very good at cricket. Your resume, someone told me what you've done. Da-da-da. He goes, would you like to be our head cricket coach and we'll just make a teaching job up for you? I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I suppose I got really lucky. So that day that it all went bad, day two when I found the joy and in, in teaching again, I probably would have yeah. quit after that three days and I know I could have got a job at a bar or done something like that. <laughs> but in the end I did a day at this fantastic private school and I ended up working there for the next 18 months. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. So it just shows again, I suppose, uh, you never know a conversation or the power of talking to somebody. And that's yeah. that's one thing I really try and do now is if there's an opportunity to talk to someone, I put my phone away. Like um, last week I was in Adelaide at the airport and a flight got delayed and this guy sitting next to me, I just struck up a conversation with him. And he goes, mate, do you know how refreshing that is? Because no one talks. Look around. Everyone's on their phone. And so for <laughs> me, that's really helped me out in life. So I try and do it a lot more now. Yeah. Yeah, everyone goes into the their little world on their phone. I mean, it is a world there that, yeah. Um, I always like tra- when I'm traveling by myself, I always like chatting to people as well. Uh, so, where, who is there someone in your life you feel like you saw 
demonstrate some of that attitude you had of, I don't know, I guess like yeah, talking to people, of showing up even when it's really tough. Um, is there, do you feel like you got that from, was it one of your parents or a teacher at school or? Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely both my parents. They would talk yeah. to anybody. Um, yeah. And, and particularly uh, particularly my daddy, he always used to embarrass the absolute crap out of me, Kyle. <laughs> like, particularly in London when you'd come over to visit and like no one on the London Tube talks, no one. Yeah. Anyway, dad would go around, hey, mate, how you going? And, and he'd literally talk to everyone and he'd scare people. He'd scare them. I'm like, dad, no one talks. He'd go, nah, they'll be right. I'll talk to everyone. And he'd keep doing it. Um, and, and in the book, dad and myself have had a lot of struggles over the years and we're in a really good place now but um i always was embarrassed by that but now i see like how powerful that is and we need to bring it back and even like when we go um with my wife brie we go walking our dog and i will say hello to everybody and no and a lot of people don't even say hello Mm. back or i'll scare Mm. people and i know i've spoken about this a lot of times but uh yeah i don't know you can never ever like understand how powerful a random conversation or hello or a smile is and we need more of it particularly in this tech digital savvy world where people go into this Mm. bubble of scrolling um it's so important so yes i learned that mum still does it dad probably more than mum but i I don't know if that's a country thing growing up in country victoria but um yeah it's something that we need more of in the world yeah I think it is a bit of a country thing because I've noticed since moving out of Melbourne that I will say hello to more people and I can usually tell a local because they'll say, they'll either initiate and say hello to me first or they'll yep. say hello back and someone who's probably down from Melbourne just looks at me very bewilderedly <laughs> or they'll just like like straight up, yeah, ignore me. And, yeah. and I notice that when I come to Melbourne as well, I'm just so used to, if it's just me and another person on the street and we're walking past each other, I'm just used to like smiling and saying g'day. Yeah, but and, why um, don't we? And in why Melbourne, people like the whole body language is just like a way for me um, not wanting to make, not everyone, but but it happens a lot and it um, it always throws me when I'm back in Melbourne that I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. It happens a <laughs> it lot makes me though. feel like it, it does. It's like you said about scary people. It's like it makes me feel like some sort of creepy <laughs> predator <laughs> because I'm trying to say a lot of this person and, and they're acting like I'm going to attack them. Um, yeah, but it shouldn't yeah. be that. It shouldn't be yeah. that at all, mate. And that's, yeah, but that's why you need to keep doing it. And if people are listening, my challenge is do it for the first five people you see. And, you know, if, if that's just a challenge you need each day, you should do it for everyone. But for some people, if you're scared or shy or nervous, only do five. There you go. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if it, it is a, an era thing as well, because my dad was similar, um, that he would talk to people and yeah, often embarrass me as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like watching that, you do you do pick up on it. So maybe it is something cool that like model for your kids to have your kids see you doing that and have that confidence to talk to a stranger um, because, yeah, then that becomes more normal for you as you grow up. Yeah, well, that's – and we, we do – we learn by what we see. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You can tell kids or whoever what to do all the time, but they're going to practice what they see. So if you practice what you preach, they're going to obviously grow up with that and see that. Um, And as much as it embarrasses me um, and it embarrassed me growing up, I'll probably do the same thing now if my little boy, like hopefully he will see me doing that. And do you know what I mean? And it'll be like that's what I'll give him. That's my gift because it is a really big gift I've realised now. Yeah. 
So um, I promised we'd circle back to earlier, um, well, later in your life. So after you've come back from Melbourne, you talk about in the book about having a moment of of rock bottom around turning 30. So where I was curious reading through this, when did you meet me in all of this? Yeah, I went through <laughs> I went through all of that and I didn't that's what I mean, I didn't talk about it. No like a lot of people didn't know. So like yeah. I I that was when I like that whole time is like going through rock bottom and like just my life was turmoil. That's when we were Doing when the we podcast. met, okay, yeah, so you had like just recently separated, yeah. Because uh, I do remember wondering. I was like, "Here's this like charming, nice guy. He never talks about having like a partner, yeah, or, like a girlfriend or anything. Like you know, we didn't really ever talk about that stuff. And and I remember just thinking, oh, okay, maybe he's just like not in that stage of his life. But um, but yeah. So so that was that was during that sort of coming yeah. or coming back out. So in the book, I was a bit of background for people. You mentioned. Um, there was like about 11 months in there where you're like crashing on your cousin's couch yep. um, while your first marriage kind of fell apart. Yeah. Um, so, my experience of you during that time was quite like upbeat and friendly. But in the book, you're, you're quite um, critical of yourself yeah. and saying that, that that was just something you had on the exterior. So, what was going on on the inside? Were you, were you already working with, um, I know quite open this to the book and we talked about the start, were you already working with a therapist when we met? Uh, that's, I would have been, when we first met, I was still in that relationship. So I'd Yeah, gone, really? Yeah, yeah. So, and I think I become very good at putting on a fake show. Like I was, yeah. I was very good at hiding things. And to be honest, that's why probably when we met, I was, working so much and nearly mm. every second of every day because I didn't want to actually face the reality of what was going on in my life. It was easier to talk about work or do something else. Or um, So I was fine, like, and with my teaching, with my boot camps, with my with you doing a podcast, whatever else I was doing, that was fine because it wasn't about yeah. me. But um, on the weekends when I'd have a little bit of downtime, that's when I'd use alcohol to numb my mind and I would become not a nice person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I was not happy with myself and that brought out the worst in me. And, and do you know what I mean? I'd use that on other people. I would put other people down. I'd speak negatively to them. I just mm. wasn't a, in a good place. And I talk about it all the time now that unless you love yourself, and I didn't love myself, you can tell I was a workaholic because I was trying to hide that. I'd use alcohol on the weekends to mask that. So mm. I wouldn't have any feelings. I was either working, drinking or sleeping. And you know, after doing that for a long period of time, it you know, you push people away and you become very good at putting on a show. And that's essentially what I was doing when I met you. Not that I wasn't yeah. loving our time together, but deep down inside, that was allowing me to escape the issues I had because I was focusing on a new project and a new relationship with you and different things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I remember we – so we, we – Recorded that podcast, the, this podcast for maybe it was like nine months or something together, and then and then I had quite a bad stint of depression, like uh, probably like my second worst ever. It lasted months, 
Um, and, and I remember you being incredibly supportive because we had a few things going on there. We were just going into like a venture together, like education for trainers. And um, I just like I utterly ran out of steam um, and couldn't bring myself to to do much of anything. Um, yeah, and you... I remember that time quite well because you there was no pressure from you. You were completely uh, supportive of me and and of my um, healing through that time. I think. Do you remember that? I do remember that very clearly, and I think I was so supportive because I was actually I wanted to be where you were, like to be able to stop everything going on and I just didn't know how to. I didn't know how to slow down. I didn't know how to stop that. Um, so in a way I was I was sort of proud of you that you were able to see those signs and know when you need to stop, you need to slow down and to say, look, I need a break, whereas I, I couldn't do that. I, di- I didn't know how to do that. Um, I, I looked at it as like um, if I would do that, it would be a weakness on me, and that's not a weakness on you. I actually saw it as a positive on you. So mm. um, it was a really – and now we're talking about you probably reading the book. You're like, wow, I was going through that, and he was going through a divorce and all this stuff, yeah. but he didn't show. And that, and I think that's the problem that too many of us, particularly males, we don't show our emotions, we don't show our feelings, and that we can't look like we're struggling and that we need yeah. to stop. We need to slow down. We've got to keep going. We've got to be strong. We've got to be brave. Um, yeah. And <laughs> that's absolute crap, mate, as you know. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, when you're going through that, I I understood exactly what you're going through because I was feeling the same things myself, but I didn't have the strength to do what you did. So I was actually a bit envious of what you were saying and taking that break and listening to your body. Um, yeah, because deep down I needed that myself more than anyone. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And thank, and again, thank you for your support during oh, that time. Always, mate. And it, um, do you think resilience can be, and maybe I'm not, because I don't have a good definition of resilience, do you think it can be a double-edged sword a bit? You know, it's this, or maybe I'm talking about like a stubbornness, you know, kind of like, <laughs> To see things through, <laughs> but then also it makes it hard on the other side too when you've got that trait to to slow down when there's when things aren't working out. Mm, that that's a really like it's a really good question, mate. Um, something that you know I work with, for, particularly when I'm working with kids and things like that um, in primary schools, that resilience is such a big thing now, and we've got all these coping strategies to deal with it, and it's fantastic to see that um, at in primary schools now that they're doing meditation, they're doing gratitude mm. journals, they practice mm-hmm. kindness, they understand what empathy is, walking in someone else's shoes. They've got all these different things that maybe we didn't have when we were growing yeah. up. Um, yep. So I think probably our generation and probably our parents, things like that, we missed that, you know, the well-being. Mm. It wasn't a focus. So some people can use resilience as thinking that they're, Superman, nothing's going to stop them. Um, yeah. Other people actually understand when they need to stop. So yeah. for me, I don't think I had any resilience because I didn't allow myself to think or feel. I was mm. numb. Um, yeah. And that's what work and drinking and, uh, you know, just that constant hamster wheel did. Whereas I would say you're resilient in a way because you knew when to say, I need to break. And that's, yeah. 
So resilience comes in all different shapes and forms and we're all different. Mm. It's like, you know, finding a different fitness workout or different clothing or what we like to eat. There's so many different options because everybody is different and we're unique. So um, yeah. the biggest thing I think with resilience is that you need to find things that you love doing to love yourself because if you don't love yourself, you're not going to take the time to realise when you need to slow down. You're not going to be empathetic to anyone else. Um, you're not caring for anyone else. You don't want to serve anyone and you're not – you don't speak nicely about yourself. So I feel resilience needs to come about yourself. You need to yeah. be happy looking in that mirror. And if that's not the case, then you need to right, peel back the onion layers, start crying, whatever it is, and figure out how to go about it so that you can be really happy just by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, because I suppose it takes resilience to go through those strong emotions that, the most. that you're avoiding. Yep. Yeah, as well. Awesome. Awesome. This has been a great chat. I just want to say I really appreciate you, Dale. And oh, thanks, Cole. I'm really proud of of you you bringing this book into the world. Thanks, um, at, the, at the same time, as we mentioned before we started the call, at the same time as bringing a child into the world as well. Like, <laughs> uh, what an accomplishment. And I hope thanks, mate. Um, you've taken plenty of time to uh, appreciate that of yourself. I- Thank you, mate. And and those questions you just asked me there, uh, I've I think I've done about ten or twelve different interviews now around the book and things about it. Um, and I think that shows the type of person you are that you picked up those things and you want to know more about those. I know you know me quite well, but yeah. um, I think that shows how in tune you are with yourself now. Like because you could pick those cues up instead of talking about all the airy fairy things and there's some great things in the book but i think they're the, yeah. for me that's like i really enjoy talking about those then because they're the deep underlying factors of why i wanted to release a book because yeah if yes. people want to know the benefits of play or gratitude or exercise or giving or whatever it is or they want to use some of the games or ideas i've got they're already out there but i suppose the book for me was a way to share things and men relationships not only with other people but with myself to finally put it out there and be completely happy with my past and where I'm going and and that's what I feel it's been able to do yeah so thank you yeah I think this book is if you're I'm gonna hold it up but we're not doing video um <laughs> I'm holding it up this Jesus, book is a great cover. if you're <laughs> the kind of person it is a great cover um <laughs> Who who definitely I think resonates with your story of like going 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 and not knowing how to put on the brake. I think the I mean that your story and this, but also what you discovered around play being such such a, an amazing tool for yourself because it was really I mean you worked with the kids, but it ended up becoming a cure for yourself as well. That was. Um, yep. I think it's such a great. It's such a great approach, I think, especially if you're like, oh, yeah, this meditation stuff doesn't really appeal to me. Or, you know, there's other stuff where I've got to sit there or, yeah, I don't want to go to a yoga class or, you know, all of that. There's there's plenty of stuff out there. I think this is such a good um, approach for the people who, yeah, just – and and I, I know, especially, like, in the industry I used to work in, in the fitness industry, like, there's just – there's so many of us um, – yeah, so thank you again for putting this together and giving people this resource. And I recommend it to to any and all who resonated with your story. 
Oh, thanks so much for talking about today and uh, probably asking me questions that nobody else has because they are not the easiest questions to – Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think that's probably why people – I don't know, people wouldn't go to those questions. They go to the more, you know, fun ones because they are <laughs> – it's, it's, it's hard to answer them, but I reckon it's even harder to, you know, put those questions out into the world. So thank yeah. you for allowing that discussion to happen, mate. Uh, you're welcome. And thanks for going there, I think – I've listened to, I've spoken to some of our listeners and um, that's one of the things they, they say they always appreciate about our conversations is that we will talk about that stuff. So, And I think in the, in the health, fitness, well-being industry, um, if, you, if you cannot be vulnerable and share, you know, things going on in your life, then you're really not allowing that for your clients or your friends or family you need you need to be at the forefront and if it scares you then you need to do it yeah <laughs> that's plain it's, and simple yeah, I feel. It's, it's a good good that's measure it. isn't it yeah yep if it scares you it's a good sign that maybe that's that's where you should be heading yeah yep. yeah if it doesn't scare you you're not challenging yourself and i'm not saying you've got to do that every day but um yeah, it's. I think it's. It's a. That's how we grow as individuals. When you do things that you know are outside your comfort zone, you push the boundaries. You don't. Everyone's different, but if it scares you, it'll normally help someone else. I've found. Yep. Yeah. I like that. I like that perspective. Yeah. There, there, there's someone else who's probably. Yeah. I like that. Mm. Um. All right, Dale. Let's wrap it up there. It's great to chat to you um, again, and we'll, we'll be back, obviously, with more episodes next week. Um, but, yeah, thanks for, for letting me put the attention on you today. I enjoyed and, it. <laughs> uh, and to all our listeners, uh, I hope you have a great week. Thank you very much, mate. Same to you. See you, guys.